we've already made it to episode 30. I can't believe it. Yes, this is episode 30 right now, Dope Nostalgia, and I'm your host, Naomi. Today's guest is a local hometown music hero from here in Edmonton, Alberta. Bobby Cameron will be on the show. We're going to be talking about all the stuff that happened to him in the 90s that made his career so big and awesome, and he had a huge hit on Canadian radio with a song called Human Fortress. I'll be sharing that as well as some other choice cuts from Bobby's career. I'm also going to be introducing a brand new segment to the show that we're going to have, and you'll hear all about it later. It's a secret for now. You'll hear it at the end of the show. It's lots of fun. All right. One thing I wanted to address as well is that I've been looking back now, we've made it to episode 30, and seeing all the amazing interviews and fantastic people we've talked to. But one thing I've noticed is that most of the guests so far have been male. Um, not as many females. And I just wanted to clarify, too, that I've approached everybody equally um, when it came to interviews and such. But so far, I haven't had a lot of response from females. So I am working on trying to get some more female representation on the show. I just wanted everyone to be aware of that. And it's something that's really important to me to work on for the future. So now that you know all of that, and I'm going to continue on making the best content I can for you guys. Here's a little bit of information on our guest today, Bobby Cameron. Wikipedia moments. Bobby Cameron's career hit the big time when he won the Guitar Wars competition. I'm going to let the late great host of video hits and much music VJ Dan Gallagher tell you a little bit here about Bobby and then you get to hear him play. Six and final contestant, he's from Alberta. Alberta. Alberta's regional winner is Bobby Cameron, originally from Nova Scotia, hmm, and won the local Guitar Wars competition at the Sidetrack Cafe in Edmonton. He's 28 years old and has played professionally for 14 years, traveling Canada from coast to coast extensively. He calls himself a regular road warrior. Bob, Bobby currently has an original solo project underway in which he sings and plays guitar. He's planning to shop his new master tape and he's looking for an EP release later this year. He's played with Matt Minglewood and last year's Guitar Wars champion, Eddie Patterson, and a shared stage with Powder Blues Band, Prism, Trooper, Doug and the Slugs, and even the Nylons. Please welcome to Fender Guitar Wars 90, if he's ready, are you ready? Bobby Cameron! Yeah. Guitar wizard Bobby Cameron is best known as a superbly skilled guitar player with a powerful, emotional style, yet at the heart of his ever-evolving career is a true singer-songwriter. He's an inspired live performer whether on his charismatic solo shows or fronting his energetic roots rock band. With his soul anchored in his Cape Breton upbringing, Cameron brings this to his music, a riveting mix of styles running the full gamut from folk and roots right up to blues rock. The past few years have been some exciting chapters in Cameron's storied career. His collaborating with Universal recording artist Julie Black resulted in a song on her 2008 Juno award-winning album. In 2007, he garnered Toronto Exclusive Magazine Awards Best Blues Artist, Best Blues Song for Sue Anna, and Artist of the Year. 
From the BMG label, he received a Platinum Sales Award for co-writing on Canadian Idol winner Ryan Malcolm's Home album. From 2002 to 2006, Cameron was a staff songwriter producer for Carlin America Music Publishing out of New York. This led him to placing songs with artists in both the Canadian and American Idol contests. Cameron considered himself fortunate to be special guest and guitar slinger for the late venerated blues icon Long John Baldry and toured with him from 2002 to 2004. His playing with Baldry on the international festival circuit was lauded and complimented by such artists as J.J. Kale. His first indie CD was self-titled and produced by Randy Staub. Cameron's second album, Drowning on Dry Land, was mixed by the renowned engineer Mike Plotnikoff. His third album, Emotional Drift, was recorded in Nashville by the legendary Miles Wilkinson and mastered at Sony Studios in New York. Over the years, Cameron has performed with Jeff Healy, Krista Berg, Chuck Laval, and Bernard Fowler of the Rolling Stones, Tom Cochran, Blue Rodeo, Colin James, Leroy Parnell, Burton Cummings, Big Sugar, Loverboy, April Wine, and the Kentucky Headhunters. Bobby Cameron is a dedicated multi-dimensional artist. This is demonstrated by the maturity of his continuing commitment to great, timeless music. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my talk with Bobby Cameron. You got it. Perfect. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I love the backdrop. <laughs> yes, yes. My nostalgic background. It looks cool. <laughs> my fun. next question is, how, how are you doing that? Is that just with some kind of virtual backdrop or you actually yeah. have a backdrop? Oh, well, cool. well, it's there's virtual background in Zoom and then I throw it up there, but I actually use a green screen just to make sure it's all uh, smooth, yeah, exactly. all smooth and you can touch it. <laughs> That's a good idea because when I, I want to start doing some more, uh, yeah, as you know, the virtual world, everybody's doing virtual concerts, but I need to figure out a way to get a, a decent backdrop that, you know, you can kind of make it look a little rock and roll, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's so <laughs> many different ones you can choose from. It's awesome. I love yeah, that. no kidding. Ah, thanks for spending some time with me this afternoon. I have. A oh, of course. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, your patience and rearranging stuff. And I apologize for that. It just. With this COVID thing going on, I, I got two. I got a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old boy, but I'm really active uh, homeschooling my boy. Besides, yeah, you know the classrooms online, so it's been now my music's getting pushed to the evenings in my studio. But uh, it's been very busy. But uh, that's why I had to rearrange things because his his calendar was fluctuating. So I know it's a, it's the time right now where all kinds of unexpected things are happening. So. Hey. Yeah, yeah, it's it's ever shifting. <laughs> yeah, I might daily. That's why I I, I can go till about three today. Um, yeah, I'll that's have, cool. I'll have to wrap by then. But yeah, I, I wrote down some questions for you, and I wanted to start with the story that I told you a couple of years back when I ran into you after the Edmonton Music Awards because. Uh, that's right. The, yeah, refresh my memory, and now can okay, now it's coming back. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. It was a story about uh Gary McGowan who. Uh, oh, absolutely who in Edmonton here um, was a huge, well-known um, producer and champion of the arts. Um, he took me to your show at the sidetrack when you were on the human fortress tour, like the, yeah. that song was being spun a lot on the radio at the time. It was the, yeah. and a lot of yeah. play on, heavy play on power 92. And um, why, why did you root your career in Edmonton originally when you started? 
when well, somebody, that's, you know, somebody tried to leave there. No, but actually, it's a, you know what, Naomi, uh, thanks for uh, connecting the dots because I was trying to place exactly the first time we actually chatted and actually exactly, and you brought now it all flooding back. I apologize. Yeah. But I'm I getting was, old now. No, that's okay. I was like 13, 14 years old when he brought me to the sidetrack, but he got me in. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he got oh, me good in. Lord. Yeah. Wow. That's right. My God, I just feel like a complete moron that I haven't figured, you know, just, oh, this is a, a wake I, up call. For I me. did not but expect now to it's remember. all making sense. <laughs> Now I understand. How did I get on your hit list? I'm trying to, how the hell did that happen? But, um, okay, uh, how did I end up at Edmonton? You know, that's a really good question. And one that I've tried to answer myself many times, but I'm glad it happened. But to make a long story short, I grew up in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Uh, left home probably 18, 19 when I was touring and stuff like that. I was going to finish university, but I didn't. I was going to actually finish a business degree. I didn't. Chose the guitar, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at a point in my life I'm going, well, maybe you should have did both. But anyway, I just started touring with this band from Cape Breton called Squeeze Play, and we kept coming out west because we were a maritime band, and hence all the work in Alberta, especially up north, with all the maritimers working the oil patch. Kept coming back and forth through Edmonton doing shows, and uh, when the band broke up in 84, I left the band because I wanted to pursue my own career as a solo artist. And Edmonton had a lot of gigs and I could survive doing it and, and you know, put together my craft. And that, so I just actually came down to Edmonton to actually play some shows. I wasn't really thinking about, you know, 20 years later on and off, uh, I'd be here, but I wasn't any long-term thought. I said, you know what, this is a good spot to put together an original act. I was going to tour anyway. So, mm. But it just kept evolving year after year after year, and here I am, you know. I mean, I moved to Toronto a bunch of times, Vancouver, back and forth many times, but I still come back out here. So that's kind of how Edmonton became my, you know, my home. I lived here longer than I, you know, have in Cape Breton. So this is actually home. This is my real home. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. you've gotten to see the whole country, I'm sure. All with yeah, I have. You know, I've... Uh, I was all, you know, pursuing the music business hard. I'm still, you know, I do it 24 seven still, but chasing, as you know, I mean, doing, you're interviewing a lot of people on both sides of the fence, you know, from the producer side to the writer side to the artist side that I chased my heart wherever it took me and, you know, into the big centers and even across the border and, you know, searching for that big record deal, searching for the next break, searching for the next producer that could help me get to the next level. Mm. So, but, um, you know, I always end up coming back and, uh, and I still travel and, uh, but yeah, Edmonton is, uh, it was just meant to be, Yeah. but it's a, it's, it's a going joke with me because I mean, many people ask me, said, well, usually people move to Alberta because they're in the oil industry. Like what, what we, you know, I said, well, actually, you know what, there's a lot of art out here in Alberta that and world knows about it now, not just because, you know, my career, I mean, I had lots of people that went on and did huge things. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not just oil on the ground here, I've always said. Nice. That's true. So, it's true. No, it is very true. We yeah. have an identity. We have a very uh, big identity larger than that. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, what you're doing to, to, to the arts, to, to acting, to, I mean, everything. And it's very, very, uh, it's a very, very um, right place for, for art to grow. And I think, Maybe not so much now, but it was very, it was a healthy place to be as a singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. 
because you could actually play at night, support yourself, and get paid decent on the gigs, and still and put your craft together. You know, afford to go into a studio and build your skills, right? And uh, it was really, really a, a great spot for somebody that did twenty four seven. You know, to to make a go of it. See, that is a time that I wish I had been feasibly active as an adult um, entertainer musician yeah. at that time because of what yeah. you said, it was feasible to make money performing, whereas- it Yeah, was it was really feasible. I mean, yeah. you know, and you, when I was doing it, you weren't even born. So, I mean, and when you came to my show, I was already, geez, I was 32, 33 then. So, I mean, I was well into the game. I was a, consider myself a late bloomer uh it bloom is the word to use but i consider i bloomed at one point but yeah so i mean your experience in the arts i mean what you're doing keeping stuff alive like this great show it's it amazes me how everybody's you know trying to figure out a way to keep this art alive somehow you know mm -hmm. virtually mm -hmm. i mean for an old guy like me this is like this could be very well the touring scene for a long time until it's, this yeah. pandemic you know the next two years they say for sure you know yeah and uh, using these uh tools like zoom has been really beneficial for that um i was having a chat thank you for that <laughs> no problem <laughs> i mean this uh, I, you, this figured, is my you figured it out on your own but i'm happy no but i mean my wife is using it with her business but this is my first zoom interview i've ever done thanks to you so you've educated me on zoom so Made you do it. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. Good. Did you attend music school? No, I never did. I learned my theory. Uh, I went to Berkeley online uh, years and years later, well into my middle 40s. Ah. Uh, I learned my music theory that way. But I played totally by ear. But I learned my theory, uh, you know, on the, on the music side. And the, I learned the business of the School of Hard Knocks. I mean, just by being in working with labels and either being as an artist or working with them as a, you know, a songwriter on the project. So I learned my business that way. Mm -hmm. And I learned my music theory through Berkeley years later, but I, I, you know, I pretty well picked it up as I went along. So I never went to Grant McEwen. I always wanted to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but maybe one day I will decide to do that. I mean, I, I loved studying. I always loved it, but I just, you know I was raised to, raised to believe you just go after it. And, you know, you put your nose to the grindstone and you block everything out and you just go for it. And I don't believe that anymore, but I did then. <laughs> well, yeah, things change, but you can still go, yeah. to, you can still go get your degree at Grant Mac. Absolutely. I still, I would, you know what? I would love to do that. And more and more, I think about it every day. Um, it's just, um, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely in my future. You know, I want, I want to do that. I, you know, it's in, it's something I've uh, I think about more and more now, you know. I'm not really I'm winding down a bit, but no, I'm still making music and still putting out records, yeah. still producing a lot, developing talent, which I enjoy doing that. But I'll always be singers. I'll always be a songwriter for sure, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I found some benefit in like I took one semester of the program before I a lost. Yeah, I ran out of money. <laughs> and two. Yeah, no kidding. At the time when I took it, it was very jazz centric. Um, and I wasn't interested in jazz. I was interested yeah. in, rock, in rock and pop. So I was having a hard time focusing on what I was supposed to be doing. 
Um, I was grateful totally. to learn so much about about the history of jazz and such, but uh, yeah, they've really expanded the program now so that it does include more genres of music. I think I would find Which it is, much more yeah. interesting now. And probably applicable. I mean, you know, I mean, jazz is an amazing format, but the thing is, I mean, the industry involves so many different mm -hmm. styles and scenes and ways uh, people that take these, you know, these study like this need to apply it into the industry that they have before them, especially the, the, the craft or, or the style they're going after. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. You know. Now tell me about the Much Music Guitar Wars experience with Jeff Healy. This is what kind of got you, uh, got, yeah. you got you started up, eh? Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, well, it was definitely uh, my first little taste of a little bit of, you know, some notoriety. I start to get, I, I wouldn't say I became famous, but I, because, I mean, I kept it in perspective. But I, it was my first time ever to be in the spotlight like that nationally on a national show and it win award like that and but the, the only reason i ever got involved in that was um because i needed to find i was always thinking about how do i further my artist career because i needed to get some heat on me attention on me and because nobody was returning my calls nobody cared mm -hmm. and i said well if i'm lucky enough even to go if I win Alberta, that will help. And if I'm lucky enough to get to Toronto, I wasn't thinking about winning. I just, this will help my songwriting because then maybe they'll take me seriously, you know? So, yeah. But I just got lucky. And I think that for that, um, that particular round of Guitar Wars in 1990, my style of playing and the judges from Kim Mitchell to Jeff Feely to uh, uh, some Blue Rodeo guys were there. I mean, it was just, I think I was just, more style of player they gravitated towards and the rest of the guitar players they were brilliant but all of them were playing a style similar to eddie van halen and i love that style but there wasn't the only thing that stood out good or bad was the way i played because everybody was the same style of player mm. so i had you know i think in a way it was just i don't know cosmically rigged that maybe i was meant to win that because i wasn't the best guitar player i wasn't even close to being the best technically the best guitar player I just think it was just uh, something that was meant to unfold for me to, I, that's how I think about yeah. things because it just felt like, you know, I'm not the best player here, but I walked away with that, that prize. I'm glad I did at the time, but you know, looking back on it, I'm going, I don't know, the guy that I was going head to head with at the end was definitely a better guitar player. I, I couldn't play like he played, but, but I was more of a, you know, I was jamming up there. I wasn't, they had parts worked out. I was just flying off the cuff because that's the way I played the sidetrack. I would just jam and make it up as I went. <laughs> Maybe it was a bit of a fre fresh air for them as far as all the guitar players that were playing, you know, playing yeah. pieces of music, you know? So Break, I don't know. Breaks up the monotony. There you yeah, go. I think that, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm good for that. I'm good for breaking up the monotony. No, I'll take that accolade, but that's it. Uh so, but I mean, that opportunity obviously opened doors for you. Uh, totally. And is that pretty much what brought you to get uh, involved with working with a legend like Randy Staub? Yeah. Um, well, actually, years later, it was just shortly after, you know, now you got me thinking about how everything worked out. So when I won the Guitar Wars, I remember I came back to Alberta from Toronto and I was really starting to push my artist thing. So that helped me because papers were articles on me. 
I was getting more shows or paying me more money. So it was, it was really helping that. And then I was in the studio constantly uh, recording my music because I would have, you know, hundreds, not hundreds of songs, probably 60 tunes I wanted to record and see if I can get 10 really good ones. Mm. And then I entered this competition called Super Session that Mix 96 put on. And, how, and the prize was working with Randy Staub. And so songwriters would submit two or three songs, two songs, and Randy would pick who he wanted to work with. Hmm. So, and I lucked out again. And, uh, and uh, he chose me. So, you know, a couple of years after Guitar Wars, I was, got a chance to work with Randy Staub. So, and that was my, yeah, that was, I think that was when, and then Gary McGowan entered my life, you know, Gary started to man. I mean, I've been after oh. Gary to manage me long before that. Okay. But Gary just was, he just wasn't ready or wasn't interested, but it was, a, it was a certain show I did at the sidetrack. He was there and I played a song called the other side. And for some reason it turned his head around about me. I guess he was just looking for something that he didn't see in me. And that's fine because I mean, when you do showcases as many as I did, I mean, there's nothing worse picture this i mean you can you, you'll appreciate this you go to toronto and do a showcase for record companies mm. you're in a room trying to have fun and put on a show and you've got 10 or 12 record people sitting there with their arms folded mm. you know you know like come on intimidating like, oh. yeah well, <laughs> intimidating but it's also it's not about it has nothing to do with why we're, we're we're playing live shows just to try to impress somebody i always hated that so I, I started to, I started really disliking that part of it because I'm going to do what I do for the fans that like me and I want to grow with my fans and make music they want to buy because at the end of the day, that's just going to keep me in the music business, but I needed a record deal. So I had to impress one of them. But anyway, make a long story short, Gary finally seen that thing he thought was missing. So Gary came on board right then and uh, yeah, and uh, and. And I remember when Randy Staub came to town, uh, he, the other side is the reason he, just, he, he gave me the, the, the winner of that contest. But I remember sitting in his hotel room, my guitar, and he said, we need a hit song you ain't got one yet. And that was a shot. I was just punching my guts and going, what do you mean I ain't got? No, man, oh. you ain't got a hit song yet. So do you got anything new? He said, yeah, I wrote this song called Human Fortress. And uh, I really like it. But I was kind of nervous going, if you didn't like those, why are you going to like this one? And I just picked up my acoustic. I just wrote it that day. I wrote it that week. And I just had, I didn't even have it recorded. And he said, that's the one. So that's kind of, that got everything going. And Randy said, that's a really good song. I think that would really be a great one to lead off this record with. So the rest is history. Take refuge behind the 
Did you feel the same way about the song that he did or was it, I, or was it shocking? To well, you? no, because you know, I mean, uh, Naomi, am I pronouncing your name right? First of all, Naomi, Naomi, yeah. Naomi. Yes. A Bobby. I would be Naomi. A yeah. is Naomi. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, no, but I just want to make sure I'm always conscious of that. Um, but 
I mean, I was coming into the, when, when Gary entered my life, um, and if I'm babbling too much, you let me know. Um, that's, what, that's what a podcast is all about. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, Gary, Gary did not, Gary McGowan came in and we, we start working together and he did not like my, my electric rock side. He said, it's dated. I don't, I, where you go with electric guitar, I mean, it's good, but your acoustic side really separates you. There's something happens with you when you pick up the acoustic with your, whatever, band or, on, or yourself. Your songs are different. It's just more organic. Gary wanted something organic. Okay. So I think that the songs Randy recorded, other than the other side, were very, I was coming out of that rock thing of the 80s, and I was starting to find this really cool, funky acoustic side of my songwriting. And Human Fortress was that song that kind of, where I went down that road, right? Mm. So that so in a way i understood why and it sounded current human fortress too it sounded like something that okay and that was always the um the comments at radio was you know they really they really really liked the song but it just sounded individual didn't sound like you know like constantly being compared to you know blah 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 so, and Randy thought that was be one that we could really separate myself. So it was a conscious effort to try to find my little spot. Yeah. You know, because there's, all, there's all, you know, there's one Brian Adams, there's one Tom Cochran, there's one, you know, like it's one Springsteen. I'm not putting myself at that level. I'm just saying when you're managing an act, there has to be something individual about them, mm-hmm. even if they're in that genre. So they, you know, they, they all felt, and I, I feel too that that song kind of, it was a good spot to start. Hello, here I am, you know? So, yeah. Did you have to deal with those comparisons throughout your career? Oh, constantly, man. Like, yeah. I mean, and Colin James, I mean, because I was playing blues. I remember one time <laughs> I was playing at the Dinwiddie and I had this record company really interested. It was, um, who was it in Toronto? Anyway, you know, too many rejections but I mean these guys were really interested the head guy came out to see me but I went on stage not thinking I mean Colin at the time was he used to put his uh, jeans inside his cowboy boots and I was I'm older than Colin I was doing it long before Colin I mean Stevie Ray Vaughan was doing it <laughs> but I come out with my jeans and my cowboy boots you know not thinking about okay I was just doing what I did and, and he said he couldn't he didn't even hear the set because all he could think was Colin James Mm-hmm. Okay, why would he do that? I'm going, well, what about my song? So you know, it's like, but in fairness, the record business, Canada is very small. And, you know, there's one of those, there's one of those, there's one of those, there's one of those. Okay, so who are you again? And why should we care? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, you got to get over that thing of, uh, it didn't bother me, but I always felt that was different because everybody really is different. I mean, you know, technically. You know, yeah. So we're we're trying to wave our own flag, and it's hard to be really original these days. You know, it yeah. And those days too. It's true. It feels like you got to come up with ideas that haven't been done already, and sometimes. And how do you do that? Sometimes, sometimes you might think that you wrote something and completely legitimately, and then find out that it sounded like something else. I've gone through that. And how you find out is when you're in court. (laughs) <laughs> and their lawyer is suing you. <laughs> that's the worst time to find out. Oh, I, like it, I like it when it's like in the middle of the studio sessions or something, and you're already paying for ma- recording, and then they're like, oh, oh yeah. it sounds like this. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, well, you know what? And we've all been there. In fact, that you just bought it. Yeah, something. I was just writing a song. I just got a whole whack of new ones. 
Um, and that's, uh, but I'm, I'm going, I know I heard that melody. And my wife said, well, why is, well, it's okay. You know, it's really, really close. Like it's too close. And I, and I always used to push them aside when I feel that gut instinct, you know, you know, but I mean, we're always being influenced. I mean, come on, you know, like, I don't know. It's true. It's true. There's an in, a fine line there. That's for sure. But going back to the, the story about Randy Staub, because for the listeners who don't know who he is, he was a legendary producer who, who worked on U2, Metallica, Bon Jovi albums, right? So what, oh, yeah. what was it like working with him one-on-one? Um, oh, man, it was, um, yeah, it was, well, first of all, Randy, you know, a mega talented guy, originally from Alberta. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't, but, uh, no. Yeah, he, he was actually a mixing engineer around here in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, and he was gone. But he I think he mixed a band called Dark Room for a long time. Yeah, he was a mixing engineer. And Randy Staub is the most humble individual you'll ever meet in your life, like just a super sweet guy and so accommodating and so relaxed when you work with him, but yet so efficient. Mm. And uh, he got stuff out of me that I didn't know was in there. But, you know, to, and then, you know, I asked him, I mean, I, I wouldn't stop asking him questions like, what was it wor like when you were working with you too? Like, like, is it true? Like, like Bono was literally just walking around inside the, the, the main uh, cutting room with a 57 micro live microphone singing those tracks instead of a big expensive studio mic. He goes, yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. Because all he cared about was performance. And that's all I care about too, he told me. I said, that's all we need. We don't got performance out of you. It doesn't matter what mic we use. Mm -hmm. or a guitar amp we need great songs and a great book so that he taught me that and how to let go but working with him and just hearing the stories and just you know metallica you know uh, he was actually working on my stuff and he was going down the, to uh to uh, uh san francisco metallica studio working there mm -hmm. so this he finished my stuff over a period of time but i'd always pick his brain what's that like and you know, it's just like working with Brian Adams. What was that like? Working with Bon Jovi. What was that like? I mean, Bob, he was Bob Rock's personal, you know, assistant engineer. Yeah. So he, Bob Rock, brought him on all those projects. Mm -hmm. And then Randy was managed by Bruce Allen. Because Bruce Allen, not only a music manager, he manages a lot of big producers. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. I know all about so, Bruce Allen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the, the, yeah and I, I've had many sessions where he's cut through me like butter, but I loved them. They were engaging. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was pursuing his management hard, hard. I got many stories with Bruce Allen. Mm. Got very close a few times, but but I'm happy with Gary. Gary was, um, I miss Gary. I was hard on Gary. I have a lot of regrets how hard I was on Gary, but I just, I just wanted it so bad. And, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, there was a time me and Gary were gonna move to Toronto. I almost had him convinced. So mm -hmm. I said, Gary, we need to move. We got to get out of here. We got to go to the big smoke. We have to do it there. Just give it a year. Let's go. Mm -hmm. But, you know, could have, should have, would have done it. But uh, he, he, he really, he furthered my career. And, you know, and he was there along the Randy Staub experience. We in Vancouver. We were, you know, in Brian Adams' studio and down on Gastown and, and right there. And, um, yeah, it was just a great time. I mean, he, Gary, Gary gave me a lot of confidence that I never had in my songwriting. Um, yeah. He really, really liked the way I write songs and uh, he thought I was a great writer. So um, 
that was great because I was very, very insecure. And, you know, I had a lot of drive, but I was so insecure because the industry is one that, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do it again because literally, I, if I did it again, you know, I'm still doing it, but if I would chase it again, I would chase it different. I would just do it for the sake of doing it and stop trying to convince an industry to like me because at the end of the day, trying to convince corporations that you got it is like you start burning out. Yeah. Like, exactly um you know and so but no i mean randy is just amazing amazing like and, and his career is still you know and it's I mean, really it's really good to hear more about gary too because like i said my my association with him happened when i was very young because yeah. i had entered a radio station contest with a song and the song got onto their compilation called the power mix absolutely and i was 14 and this was all like in my head i'm thinking i'm gonna be famous wow like you know just well you are i mean but that's still notoriety it was still very exciting and he got because gary was involved in producing the project i think he wanted to help shape my musical horizons so he he said hey i'm gonna take you to see bobby play you know and yeah. bring, bring your mom down with you and everything it'll be really cool then there was then <laughs> i feel i feel so ancient right now and you were 13 oh you then 14. yeah i was 14 then but uh 14 so writing been, singing been, like that wow that would have been 1994 i think that's right early 94 and then uh yeah there was a few uh, artists that came to town and gary's like here I'll, I'll bring you out to the show and he was just he really tried to develop my my interest and had me talking to people to learn something and i really appreciated him for that and all the effort he put into me at a young age so yeah well i tell you what and you know and i really believe not just because i work with him because he obviously he had interest in you too he very had an eye for talent he knew he really had an eye for something that was something special about it and if, if it wasn't really out front, then he tried to get it out front with me. He tried to, he just seen that night for me, he seen something. We need to get that out front more. And I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And with you, it was the same thing. He's seen something new and he gravitated towards that. But I tell you what, we sure miss him around here right now. Oh, yeah. Like his, his, he would have figured out a way to do something around here, you know. And, uh, and I have, you know, selfish reasons to miss him because it's just so much more music. We thought we talked about hooking back up again, and uh, you know, I was a little, you know, not so bouncing off the walls. I told him that I said I was bouncing off the walls, in and you know, I wasn't, you know, I was still a respectful guy, but I just, I just made it too hard for him. Mm. You know, I just, I wanted results twenty four seven, and if I wasn't getting them, then that wasn't good enough. And I just realized that I that that's where I lost my rudder. That's you know. Gary did have a plan. I just needed to trust it more. Uh, you know, do you know what I mean? Well, that's and it happens. wasn't about it wasn't about the results right now. It was about having some faith. It doesn't matter when it happens. I just pushed it forward. That's what's his thinking. My thinking. Well, you know, by July, I want to. You can't do that. But well, it took me a lot, a lot of living to figure that out. Being enthusiastic and ambitious, young man, is a good thing. Like it's that's, a good that's, thing. that's not a bad thing, but what you're saying is you you didn't have the foresight at the time to see his plan no i mean i believed in him i believed in him, but no i was too impatient yeah yeah but you know what we're all here to learn lessons and i sure learned that one <laughs> tell me life humbled me 
<laughs> Tell me about your relationship with the Sidetrack Cafe. For those listening, Sidetrack Cafe was an institution in Edmonton. Oh, man, well, it, it, it gave me my, you know, I considered, I earned my wings. When I moved to Edmonton, like coming back, I, I used to go hang out at the Sidetrack on the legendary Sundays. Mm. And you weren't even born then. <laughs> <laughs> you were soon to come. Maybe No, actually, probably maybe close to a decade later or more. Um, the Sunday nights were the biggest night of the week. It was packed all week, but Sundays were just like 400 people in there on Sunday, believe it or not. That's unreal. I mean, wow. it was just, but Naomi, uh, Naomi was just amazing. This scene from the players, all the musicians would hang out. All the people were there supporting it. And the place was making money. Everybody was playing. I mean, it was just a great time. Yeah. But I got to when I meet everybody there. I met all my close friends there. You know, Daryl Barr there, Mark Puffer there. And the list goes on and on and on. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's probably where I met Gary McGowan the first time, mm. you know? Um, so and the list goes on and then, and then it gave us a place to play. And then I became a part of the, the Sunday night jam mm. session. So that room really established me in the city as this guy, you know, cause I would look after the monster jam and be one of the featured artists. So that gave me a platform every week when I was going out playing all these towns, either Calgary or small towns, I play anywhere. Mm. Um, uh, come back on Sunday, I'd get the chance to play to front of 300 people. You know, yeah, I wasn't making hardly any money, but I didn't care because I didn't have any bills then. I just wanted to play. You're telling you know, 300, 400 people in a club in Edmonton listening to live music. I would have enjoyed that. that. Just, like, that was and you know what? I tell you so one frustrating thing. Frustrating now. And no, you know, I was just, who was just telling me this the other day? Peter North. You know, you know Peter? Uh, no. Peter North? No. Uh, I just used to write for the uh, the journal. He was a, a music writer, and CKAA had a few radio shows. And he's now he's a pr promoter at the Salmon Arm Roots and Blues Festival. But he's an icon around here as far as uh, promoter guys and stuff. But I was talking to Peter yesterday, and he said, you know, just about exactly what you just said. He said, we 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 need a room like the sidetrack. I said, I don't know if we're ever going to see like that, Peter. You know, every city in Canada. I will go on to say pretty well every city has maintained their iconic rooms, mm. but we tore that one down and tried to relocate it, mm. and then we gave up too quickly and leveled it. Mm. And that would never happen in Toronto. The horseshoe's still in Toronto. The sidetrack still should be here, but I don't know if the scene would support it like we did. But yes, on Sundays, I'm telling you, it was no problem to see 300 people in there or more. Mm. 300 was just okay that was a really full sunday but i've seen 500 in there sometimes where the lounge part was so stuffed because of the oilers were after a game where they'd have that blocked off for the oilers then there'd be another 200 people there because the oilers are there and oh, man, it was just... the coolest place in town <laughs> but but it was a great sound system oilers. wow yeah. yeah like a great sound system great sound techs and you um, get a chance to do your original songs and and so for me, that was like, wow. And then I started getting shows there because I started building up a following. And like, you know, that was, that was the, you know, 10 step plan for any band. You know, you start building up a following of the sidetrack and you get your own show there and then, okay. And then you have arrived in Edmonton, you know, and, mm -hmm. but it was a launch pad for, cause I, even my CD release party, like you mentioned, I had much music came to the sidetrack and they fill in my, my release party. And, uh, and, you know, not just because, well, the Guitar Wars thing, because they were involved in it, but the sidetrack had a, 
it was the heavy room in Canada. It was one of the rooms across Canada. People named rooms. The mm-hmm. sidetrack was one of the torn rooms for all the labels and the major agents, right? So, mm-hmm. and now we still have, I think we got more amazing music now from young artists than we ever had. So the talent is there, mm-hmm. the infrastructure. And now with the pandemic, I'm going, oh man, like, where is it going? Oh, yeah, it's hard to even envision what the future of live performance is going to be at this point. But someone has to, I think people, like you said, people who have the, the ingenuity like Gary did to, yeah. to think about the future and how we're going to be uh, active. Absolutely. And we will, and we'll, it'll morph into something that will, you know, a year later will become the norm and we'll accept it. Um, I hope that, um, you know, the, you know, a vaccine, you know, that's probably a year away, you know, mm-hmm. the fastest or two, they say, but, well, I think the world has changed and it's getting so rocky now, you know, with, uh, you know, things that are going on in America, you know, the, the upheaval down there, which is, we knew it was coming and it needs to come, but, you know, but the state of the, of, of the U S and, and where the, the world is so unraveling and it's so wobbling now. And, and, uh, and so many industries are just getting chopped and, uh, I don't know what it's going to, uh, look like, but you know, I've got my eye on it, but in the meantime, I'm just woodshed and making music. Hmm. Yeah. Surviving. That's the thing is at least you can stay creative during this time and you'll figure out how to make, get that out to the people eventually. Absolutely. Absolutely. After these messages, we'll be right back. Analog Brewing, winner of three awards at the 2020 Alberta Beer Awards, is a proud sponsor of the Dope Nostalgia Podcast. Analog Brewing is now offering delivery within the city of Edmonton with no delivery fee on orders over $40. Go to analogbrewing.ca slash shop. That's www.analogbrewing.ca forward slash shop and place your order today. When placing an order, you could also pay it forward and take part in their Nurse a Pint program and prepay for a pint for a nurse. Mention this podcast in the order comments so they know we sent you. Analog Brewing, taking beer to the next level. Turn up the fun with Balzac. Turn it up. Put the Balzac balloon in the sack. Blow it up now. Give it a whack. Turn up the fun with Balzac. Hit it. Pour it some water too. I fly real crazy now. Ain't that cool? Turn up the fun with Balzac. Check it out. And here's my little buddy, the Balzac brat. Ask you Balzac, so where it's at? This is Brett. Turn up the fun with Balzac. I wanted to get involved in talking to you about your songwriting a bit because I know you were yep. you won an international songwriting competition, correct? The ISC. I uh, yeah, I just recently we didn't. Well, we came in. Uh, we had a few. Not well. I've been involved not a few times, but lately I'm working on a project with a a, a song a lyricist named Scott Robinson, and uh, it's called Scott Free Sessions because Scott is not a musician. Lyricist, but we wrote the songs together, and we did a, a a double disc record that we haven't released yet. But we had many singers around town that sang them. I sang a bit, and then we had a bunch of guest singers. We were down in Austin, we were in Los Angeles, and Scott has the resources to be able to do all this stuff. So we ended a couple of those co-writes together, and a song called Istanbul, 
if that's the one you're reading, it just yeah. won, came in second for the lyrics. Uh, but it came into the finals in a few of the categories, a few of the songs. But we didn't win, but we, we came a second overall. And that's a, you know, that's an accolade too. But that's awesome. Yeah, that's the latest one. <laughs> that's the latest accolade. That's awesome. But that's I, I got to give most of the credit to the lyrics to Scott because, I mean, I, I, I moved a few around and out of my thing. But, I mean, a lot of the penmanship on the, on the stories are his and the music. You know, I built up around him, but but we're co-writers, so we're mm. sharing we're sharing the the sunlight on that. Yeah. How often throughout your career have you been collaborating as a writer, and how often do you write by yourself? What do you prefer? Um, I uh, I love collaborating. I like writing by myself too. Um, I do both constantly. Like I'm producing uh, artists now, and I'm usually with them how it's been working with a couple that they come in with, you know, ideas that are sort of finished and I end up getting involved. So I'm co-writing producing there. But since about 15 years ago, when I lived in Toronto, I got really into the co-writing. I was involved in um, two Canadian Isle records and I was one of the songwriters. There's 35 writers from around the world ah. that were invited there to write for, <laughs> to write for the winners. And, uh, some really like well-known writers and they brought in people on their way up, but they figured they might be good. And I was one of them. Mm. Um, so I started, you know, um, really getting heavy into the co-writing then, you know, and then I started going down to Nashville a lot and um, co-writing, uh, you know, trying to get in that scene down there. Mm. And that's all about co-writing, you know, one day you're writing with blah, blah. Next day you're writing with so-and-so or three writers that you just met that day and you're, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a fast food industry of, of songwriting, but they believe in the collaborations. And uh, so I do, you know, a lot of both yeah. and I enjoy them both. And I've learned so much from co-writing because when you're writing by yourself, you're writing by yourself, mm -hmm. you know, but when you're co-writing with people with different strengths, it's, uh, it's, and when you click, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's very powerful. That was always something I catch, did. I need to be more comfortable with is co-writing because I always was afraid to share my my ideas. I know. Hey, it, listen, me too. It, it was all like a fear thing. Like I was afraid it would get, my idea would be stupid and get shot down. But sometimes, well, sometimes you yeah, have the sometimes. most amazing idea out of nowhere. <laughs> well, and you know that, and you know what? I tell you what. That's funny you should bring that up because I remember one of my my second trips to Nashville was who was I writing with? I, I had a publishing deal out of. A company called Carl in America signed me. I don't know. I'm not with them now, but I was with them for about six years. And they signed there was a company in New York City. But anyway, they sent me to Nashville for the first time, and they set up these co-writes. And I can't remember who I was writing with, but he had some success. Who was it? Um, anyway, it just escapes me. But I, I just start talking about philosophy, and he believes that if we don't blurt out these things that we think are stupid, or because you know, because I was so insecure, I think, I'm going. This guy's had hits. I haven't had any hits. Like, what am I doing? Yeah, but I needed to, you know, once again, I got to blast through that fear. And he said, but he, he told me, because he was sensing something. He go, listen, I want to hear those things you don't think are very good, because I got a feeling I'm going to think they're great. And if you don't say them, I'm not going to hear them. And yeah. that, and if you blurt that out, that might just be the, the ice, that uh, the, uh, the pick that broke the ice, and we go off into this tangent. Next thing you know, we just, we came across something magical. And I never forgotten about that because that that can change a dynamic for the better yeah I think you know so i took that after that i'm going okay i get it now because you know what when you're in these co-writing sessions um it's just firing things back and forth and it's not about 
who's smarter or who's yeah. not. It's like we're trying to get to the same end point. You know, we bang ideas off together. We get a mojo going on, and hopefully our personalities click. Mm-hmm. We get to the finish line. But, you know, I've been in situations where the personalities did not work. Mm. And this is pointless, you know, and that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I had to learn that. That's okay, too. And it's okay as long as you can both say to each other, hey, it's not working yeah. out, but, you know, good luck. Yeah, we'll, that's try, right. we'll try it some other way. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think you kind of have to leave your, what I found is leave my insecurities at the door and, and just go for it with, with writing with other people. I think that that's the only way you're going to get those ideas out and flowing. Totally. And I mean, I, I mean, I had a, I had knapsacks full of insecurities when I was doing all this and, and, you know, from my childhood, you know, and I, I thought maybe they'd leave me alone by the time I, you know, was writing at that point, but they didn't. So, I mean, yeah, you gotta, and once you do it the first time you walk, go, you go, well, that was okay. Actually, you know, I'm strong. I feel stronger for it. That there you go. Yeah. It's a good feeling, isn't it? But if you wouldn't have said, if you wouldn't have blasted through the fear, like feel the fear and do it anyway, you know, leap and, you know, the famous saying that I was young, I wrote down on a card, you know, leap in the net will appear, mm. you know, um, we got to do that because I mean, in songwriting, I think it's a prime example of blasting through the fear. I've never met anybody that, you know, in the early stages didn't have insecurities about, are these ideas any good? Mm. You know, <laughs> Am I any good? Do yeah. I even like myself? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, because we're trying to yeah. convince people to like us. And, and if you make and that we're the vulnerable. Point, and we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable people, um, artists are, for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I, when are you, you still writing? It's been a while. I've been very invested in doing the podcast right now because it's been, I felt more passionate about it as of late. Um, yeah. When my band but it's ended. going well. Yeah, it is. It went from, hey, maybe I'll talk about the 90s and stuff with a few friends to, <laughs> exactly. I, interviewed, to I interviewed Right Said Fred last week. Like, Oh, that's awesome. It's going great. And, and I couldn't ask for anything more. As far as music goes, though, um, I still have a lot of songs that I've, you know, worked on and pieces, yeah. pieces of songs. But I, I, I don't rule it out that I wouldn't start on that again because that was my first love and always will be. I'd love to hear them. I'd love to hear you. I'll send you. I'll send you. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, really, seriously. I'll send you a tune that uh, Stu Kirkwood produced that you'll Oh, you'll man, Stu, like. like, I got, like, that, there's another guy. I got, if I get talking about him, I just won't stop. I just think he's so brilliant. <laughs> he's my hero. I just, uh, he is so brilliant. Like, in every, any hat he, as you know, any hat he wears, he's top shelf, man. Mm-hmm. He's just one of the most talented people, I think, that in this city. You know, a, mm-hmm. a silent storm. And, you know, and his artist thing, not just the producing thing, is amazing. I just love this, his records. I just think he was a great songwriter. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he always got the best out of me. Like, I felt he, yeah, made, me feel, he made me feel comfortable, and he, but he was always very direct and bold in what he had to say. Yeah but still got the best performance out of me and made me feel confident in what I was doing. And totally. That's what you really need in a producer. Absolutely. Because they're there to, to get, and you know, some people believe if they, if they, you know, like that spark, whether it's maybe a little bit of negative energy, it's going to bring that, that thing forward, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a risk people take and it sometimes hits a home run. Yeah. No, I love them. Great. 
I was booked in to go to your writing clinic there before COVID struck. And uh, I, was yeah, like, I know COVID, was COVID like, shut down my career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start doing more of, um, um, I'm just trying to, you know, Naomi, I'm just trying to figure out other things I can do, you know, obviously. A Zoom clinic. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm going to do a Zoom clinic and, uh, yeah, I gotta get educated in that because my wife said, you know, you gotta start. I said, I know, I know, I know. I'm so old school, but I gotta, you know, uh, and I am gonna do that. I, you know, because the songwriting, you said, you know, you podcast what's really your interest of late. And I said, you know, it's still the songwriting for me, you know, it's just trying to get to the, trying to get that song to that point where, yeah, we got it right. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I, I still want to pursue some kind of online thing about that, you know, Zoom clinic, like you said, I think that'd be really fun. But I want it to be a value and, you know, to be where it's people can, you know, to do it and, 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 so, and be fun and engaging and not intimidating and, you know, just yeah. a bunch of artists getting together and talking about it, you know. Yeah, that's that would be wonderful. And the only thing is, it's hard to jam with people through Zoom because of the latency. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. There, there's that one or two second delay depending on your yeah. internet connection. That, uh, but my buddy Mike Brazo is trying to always find ways to work around that, and he's been doing. Well, stuff I mean, like if you went through your, I was thinking, if I went through my Pro Tools, uh, some kind of audio out into Zoom. I mean, Pro Tools has a. I don't know if they have a latency function on there. I'll have to ask. Stu would know how to do that. There you go. There's a good. There's I'm always texting him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> good. I think he's got himself set up at home now. It's good to hear he's got a studio in his his basement now, and he's absolutely going to still mix and get back to his art. Yeah. Yeah. I took all my work there, man. He's just. I just love his sounds, and yeah. 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 I always had brilliant. a good time there at, at yeah, the old brilliant. studio. Oh yeah, it's a great spot. What's some, of, what's some of your favorite gear and guitars to play, gear to play with? Um, well, you mean like pedals and guitar? guitar. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a tele, I love Telecasters. I like Strats in the studio. I don't like playing Strats live. I don't know why. I like playing Tellys. Um, um, I like um, SGs. I like uh, hollow bodies, you know, 335s and stuff like that. I like Dobros, got a Dooley and Dobro, I, you know, banjo, I'm, I'm playing banjo now, that's a new thing in my last few years of my life. That's very I'm cool. I'm getting to a point now, I'm comfortable enough, I've been tracking with it, but actually play it live, I'm getting, you know, I bobbyize the banjo, I'm not like those Nashville banjo players, but mm. I'm putting my little stamp on it, and I'm comfortable enough, well, I'm going to, my next show, I'm going to actually play a banjo, not on every song, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, so, I mean, but an acoustic, I mean, I, my go Dan, obviously I've played it for a long time. I'm kind of, you know, my go Dan, but I, I love my Taylor and mm -hmm. I have a, a few Taylors and a court court acoustic. I've lost a lot of guitars over the years, you know, from being stolen on the road in the younger days and lost so much gear, um, in Vancouver for some reason it was always Vancouver, get ripped off constantly out there. But, yeah. um, yeah, but I think my, you know, Taylor Acoustic and my telly would be my, if I have those two things at a show, I know I'm, I'm in my comfort zone. Beautiful. <laughs> and pedals, you know, normal pedals, you know, I like line six pedals and delay pedals. I'm not really an overprocessed kind of guy. I have about four or five sounds I'll use, mm -hmm. like a dirty, uh, like a, a good kind of clean with a little bit of grit for rhythm 
a little bit more aggressive, number two. Number three is maybe a little bit of a solo boost. And then number four is just over the top, most nasty sound you want for like a Hendrix solo if I ever went there. Oh, and wow. Then, Great. Yeah. But, I, but it's not like some of the processing, you know, and I'm still old school pedals, right? And I'm still, you know, it's a dinosaur uh, pedal rig I got, but I like it. You know, it's noisy, but whatever. <laughs> That sounds good. It sounds really nice, actually. Yeah. Um, what? And I, I go through, I, I have uh, my Fender basement amp, and I've got a, a few amps downstairs, but um, I got a deluxe reverb, too, I like, which is a kind of go-to amp. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not really, you know, you know, once again, I believe the sound's in the hand, because I have seen great guitar players, no matter what they play on, they still have that great sound. Mm. Even if they sit in with a band and they're on shitty gear, they just somehow they sound as great as they did through all their rig. So I believe, you know, Sounds as Eric Clapton said, it's in the hands. That's cool. Yeah. I've never heard that reference before. I, yeah, I, I think Clapton I came up with it. Yeah. I, well, you know, like the attack, I, you know, I mean, we'll go, you know, if I heard, you know, if I heard, uh, I don't know, Celine Dion singing through a 57 or a big studio mic, I'm sure she'd still sound as great as she ever did, you know? like. Mm -hmm. So I guess at some point it's the performance and the talent and the, and the you know, the delivery that... Full circle goes that, back to what Randy Yeah, said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, and, uh, and to this, as you know, I mean, better than anybody, if you ain't got a good song, Nope. Then there's no point in recording it. But that, then again, as you'll argue with me, and I've argued many times, well, I think it's a good song. And producer goes, well, I don't. <laughs> so who's right and who's wrong? Exactly. You know? We tend to look at our songs as so personal, like children, oh. that, that, that if, uh, if someone doesn't necessarily like it, it almost stabs you in the chest. You're like, well, what? I mean, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, and I had to... You know, I, I realized, and you know what? And that's just maybe the last five years. I, I had to let that go because it did. Because, you, you know, when you put a song out, I think it's safe to say as writers, we all believe this. We're not even letting anybody hear it if we don't think it's good. Nope. So right. we want the response to be, wow. <laughs> you know, um, and it's not always wow. Okay, so be it. I like when someone says so. That one's all right, but I like this one better. Okay, that's great. That's yeah, well, at least there's one they like. There's yeah, give way it. Of saying. <laughs> this one's shit. Yeah, Thank give you. a few choices. <laughs> yeah, um, it's all how you word the intro. There's um, here's seven songs. Which one would you go with? <laughs> or not? Here's seven songs. Do you hear anything you like? Don't go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it in a positive note, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now for oh, caught. Causes you support. I looked in your bio and I saw a, a cause that was very near and dear to my heart to the Autism Society of Edmonton. So you've been, oh, you've been supporting uh, that society for a while. What's your story and background with them? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic, really. Um, I have an autistic boy, he's 10. Yeah. Um, and I work with him every day. I said homeschooling, plus he goes to school too. And, and he's making headway leaps and bounds. But um, so that was our journey, me and Sherry. But Sherry ended up years later getting a job with Autism Speaks Canada, which is to raise funding for this organization to, to help with special, you know, special needs and functions and stuff across the country. So that came in later. Mm -hmm. So Autism Speaks Canada, as she was doing functions, obviously it's a no-brainer. 
I want to get involved, and I'd be involved anyway. You know what I mean? So I did whatever I could do over the years, and you know, on a smaller scale, I do bigger stuff. Um, and uh, and once again, they've been hit hard because of this, and who knows what's going to happen? You know? Yeah. These fundraising companies, I mean, a lot of them are on the chopping block because <laughs> who's got any money? Oh. And there ain't no social events happening. But anyway, so, but I still do like over the years I've done, you know, if I did a show, I would auction myself off as a house concert or something. I would try to do something or, I mean, one show we did, we, 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 there's young, there's a young autistic uh, singer in town, Sherry Fountain. He was amazing. Mm. You know, so, so I would try to do events and not just be centered around me. I think we should bring in musical talent that actually autistic talent, mm-hmm. you know, I could do put them in my show and you know whatever. So I I like that angle because that's a great idea. I, yeah, because I'm always worried about this self indulgent narcissistic. You know, me 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 me. I I'm tired of me. You know what I mean? I'm not. You know, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You know, I still love my music, but I think we need to start thinking more about the bigger picture. How does it benefit everybody? And you know, uh, the more the merrier. And uh, and just be surrounded by a lot of good vibration in there. You know, I think that's what really makes an event soar. And I'm really into exposing talent, like, and with no strings attached. I just really, really enjoy, you know, turning somebody on to something they haven't heard because it's just amazing. Mm. You know what I mean, right? And just yeah. go like, wow. And, and you know, so, yeah. So, but we'll, we'll, we'll be active again. I'm just, I don't know what the, you know, the future holds for, for that organization, but like everything else, everybody's hanging on to see what's going to come next with the pandemic, you know, as, mm-hmm. as they try to engage stage three or, or, you know, into the economy and see if anything else is coming back. But as of now, we're still, we're both still involved. That's good. Um, I just want to encourage our listeners to get involved with the Autism Society of Edmonton. Yeah, autism Speaks as well. Yeah. My nephew has autism. My sister's uh done a lot of work with him and through the puff program through the Alberta yeah. government to, to help him develop and grow. And you're seeing, yeah. him, you're seeing him grow by leaps and bounds, but we're, we're getting a little afraid that those programs will be cut, especially during the pandemic. Oh. Right. So. Absolutely. I mean, that's a good point. And the thing is, I think they have been cut in the last administration, I believe here, but I mean, it's, you know, because obviously Brett and my son, you know, he's got funding to, to get assistance in, in, in regular school. Mm-hmm. And but they only can do so much. It's like they're doing everything they can. The teachers are they're they're working so hard, and this these times are, are crazy for them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's always is the funding there, you know. And it's um, and if you know, as we as your as your nephew, right? You said your yeah. nephew. Yeah. I mean, they're you know, if I was to sit down with your nephew, I, I know within probably less than thirty seconds, I'll 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 zoom in on this brilliance he has, like we all do. Maybe in the school system, there's certain areas where they need to, they need to pick up, pick things up, but they're also brilliant in their certain areas. Like they're Very over the chart brilliant. Yeah. Like they're using a part of their brain that we don't have access to, or certainly I don't. Mm-hmm. And my son floors me on a daily basis. So we recognize the brilliance, but we still have to fit them in that school system somehow. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, um, I told this to, who did I tell you this today? I was saying to I will thank COVID-19. You go, you want to thank COVID-19? Yeah, so I'll thank COVID-19 for this. It made me realize how I got to be more involved in my son's education. 
Wow, now, yeah. in addition to what he's doing in school, I've got to be really involved mm-hmm. and working with him. And COVID's given me that opportunity. I, I just, I assumed he'd go to school, they'll take care of him. You know what? No way. Mm-hmm. No way. I have to be really, really working with him too. So that is my, my life focus now. Um, is my son to the day I die. I really, and even when it kicks back in, I, I'll be really active in that. Mm-hmm. And co-creating with the teachers with him because I'm, I'm making a difference with him. You know, um, mm-hmm. he went from single digit multiple uh, addition to triple digit. And now we're going to be hit to the thousand, you know, so mm-hmm. he just needed some attention and they're doing really great with him on the reading, but they can't do everything. Yeah. And I, 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 I realized that they can't do everything. They're overburdened with uh, they're overburdened. huge class sizes. and That's exactly. So, so it was a wake up call for me, but a really, a, a one that I'm glad I got because I needed one. I was just. I thought I was really engaged and, and, and had it together, but I realized I really wasn't. I was just thinking he was going to go to school and that's going to be that. Mm. Nope. So. Well, I'm really yeah. glad you shared that. That was really, really interesting. Like, Well, it was, it was for me. It was just like, I, um, like I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm really, and I'm getting closer. I mean, we're close, but now every day we spend three, I mean, I spend four hours with him every day. I get up early in the morning. Mm-hmm. I start with him at 10 and he go, he does his online thing and then I'll work with him on math and do stuff and back and forth, back and forth. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm pushing him, but I, I want to push him because uh, I want him to grow. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and I'm growing too as a parent because I'm, you know, I'm getting better at being a parent. So it's a tough That's, job. Everyone. Yeah. You're growing and what, and, and so is he like, uh, we all, yeah. we all have to. And, uh, I wanted to wrap things up by asking you just one more question. Yeah. Um, who did you get to meet in the business that taught you the most? Or you were most excited to, to meet or work with? Oh, God, Naomi, uh, Naomi, there's so many people. Yeah. Uh, on the eyes. business side, I mean, I have to give, uh, I think, you know, uh, well, a guy named Larry Wanagus was, he never managed me, but he's a big manager. And uh, Larry was always a good friend to me and gave me a lot of advice. Mm. And he, he really came through to me quite a few times in pointing areas with some serious advice from somebody that knows, like, what should I do here? I don't, I thank him for that. And a girl named Adina O'Brien that works with E1. And she was the lady that signed me to my first publishing deal. And uh, I learned a lot from her business. She's from uh, Cork, Ireland. She lives in Toronto, but she's really fireball and really together. But you know what? But I learned a lot from Randy Staub. And I learned, I'll tell you what I learned a lot. I learned a lot. <laughs> you're going to laugh at this. I learned a lot from Gary McGowan. Not laugh at that. I learned a lot from Gary McGowan. Of course. That's the biggest one. But the, the funniest thing that was probably the most um, deflatable conversation I ever had in my life, but I learned so much about myself and how tough I really was when I had Bruce, when I finally got Bruce Allen on the phone. Yeah. And he cut through me like butter, but I stood up for myself. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, because Bruce Allen, I phoned that office every day. It was back in the early days, I wanted his management. And this is after Randy Stop went into his office and said, you need to manage this guy. This is after the record was mastered. He goes, yeah, okay, I'll take a listen, whatever. Tell him to call me. So he wouldn't take my calls. Two weeks later, I finally got the phone and he wasn't very polite, but that he wanted to find out what I'm made of. Yeah. 
And I knew Randy said, if you ever get him on the phone, do not cower because he tries to find out what you're made of. But he, you know, he, is he, he looking I, for, is he looking for people's weaknesses? Um, I wonder. He's from, well, you know, I don't know him very well, but I, my, oh, my okay. father, my father was old school. And, you know, I think, I, I don't know this to be, to be true, but my opinion about Bruce Allen is, let's push aside his success. Mm-hmm. Bruce Allen believes, I think, I don't know this to be true. It's just my opinion from, from being in his circle mm-hmm. a few times that he believes that you need to be tough emotionally to handle the music business the way it used to be. I agree with because that. Because it, it's dog eat dog and it is nasty out there. Mm-hmm. And you can't be just this person that's going to cower. You got to know what you want and stand up for yourself. So how does he find that out? Attack me. Mm. Go right to that spot. Like the first thing he said to me, he goes, Bobby. I said, did you listen to that master, Randy Dry? Yeah, I listened to it, he said. I can't remember word for word, but it was kind of like that. I listened to it. So what do you think? He said, I don't know. I don't hear any hits there. I said, what? that's exactly what i said what so he asked a lot of questions he lost a lot but he asked some smart questions but at the end of the 10 minute call i had him on the phone for 10 minutes i knew he there's some reason he stayed on the phone because why would he stay on the phone for 10 minutes but anyway nothing ever happened but he knew my name when that conversation was over and he knew i believed in myself yes because i told him he was wrong and he's clueless and he obviously didn't listen to that master Oh my goodness. What an amazing conversation. <laughs> but I mean, you know what? Who am I to argue with Bruce Allen? He, he's had success like that. I never did. And I respect Bruce Allen for that because you know what? He doesn't just sugarcoat it. You know, he's yeah. not overly rude. He's just very, very aggressive. He's blunt. He's got no time. Yeah. Very Push and buttons. Says it, says what he thinks right off the bat. Yeah. So, and then, and he made me say what I wanted to think. And I think that brought that out to me and I needed to do that. You know, so he taught me a valuable lesson. I need to know when to say no. I'm okay with not agreeing with you. So, but um, yeah, it was, uh, my, I tell you what, I was vibrating after that call, but I really learned a lot. So I, I'm grateful for that. I learned a lot from, our, from just our conversation today. <laughs> so much great. Like, thank you. Thanks, Naomi. It was really no, but well, thank you. I hope I, got, I let you get a chance to get a few questions in. I tend to go off on tangents. Oh, you were great. You know what's nice? When it actually feels like a conversation more so. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad. Questions. That's what I wanted to make sure that was. Well, you got me thinking about things that, you know, I haven't <laughs> thought about in a while. And actually, yeah. And that's I think you might have got me interested in the music business again. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. You're welcome to come back on the show anytime. I'd love to have you. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, yeah, well, uh, good luck with the show. And let me sp- I'll spread the links around and stuff. And let me know when you're. Yeah. I is will. this going live? Or are you, are you, do you post this? Or, or is this live on your show right now? It's or? not live. It's going to be published within the next uh, month or so. I have an actual. Okay, let me know. I have a schedule set up. So as soon as I, it's. Oh, cool. Out, I'll, I, will, I will message you a day or well, two. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll put a link on for your show on my website and. And I'll pump your show too and, and spread the love, you know, because I appreciate you. your interest in what I'm doing. Thank you. And uh, we got new music coming out. So I'm, I'm hoping to have a new single out before uh, August and a new record. So, oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, can so I'll make sure I get it to you. Let everybody know where they can find your uh, all your music. Um, so, bobbycameron.com. That's where they can. That's it. Yep. That's it. Easy. That's it. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Thank you. And we'll talk peace, again soon. Peace, peace, peace. Okay, buddy. Bye. Good luck. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Thank you to my guest, Bobby Cameron, for joining me. You can check out his music at bobbycameron.com. He also has a YouTube channel where you can see his music videos and all the stuff that he records right in his own home. And like you said, he has new music coming out very soon. So please follow him. Check out all his social media and support Bobby's music. All right. Next show, Oaktown's 357 a female rap group that spent a lot of time on the road dancing for and supporting MC Hammer all the way from Oakland, California. And their member Sweet LD joins me and goes over those old days. We do some reminiscing and she tells me all kinds of stories. So great to have her on the show. That's next week. Until then, you guys take care and we'll talk to you then. Social media. Yeah, we've got it. Send us an email. Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope, or on Insta, Dope underscore Nostalgia. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work. We're going to dance and have some fun. Hey friends, you know what I really love doing is podcasting. It's so much fun and I've been so lucky because I've talked to amazing people so far doing this show and I'm trying to bring you guys the very best content I can. Now in doing that, it does get kind of expensive and I'm on a little bit of a budget to do so, but there's a way you guys can help out and it's called Patreon. If you visit our Patreon page, you can subscribe to our podcast and get all kinds of ultimate perks just for subscribers. There's different tiered levels, so you can join for only $1 a month if you like. What's in it for you? Bonus content. We'll give you a shout out on the show. We're going to be recording all kinds of super secret stuff just for our Patreon subscribers. And in doing that, in subscribing, you're going to help us pay the bills. Help me pay my phone bill when I'm calling people far away for an interview. Help us pay for our licensing fees so we can play you awesome music clips and so much more to help keep this boat afloat. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash dope nostalgia. 